Welcome to another episode of Chan with the Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice in easy, actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you can stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. And I'm your host, Max Chan. If you are a professional looking for your next job opportunity or looking for some career guidance to help you take your career to the next level, then come join my private Facebook group, Career Advice with Chan with a Plan. In that group, I post daily content on job search tips and career advice to help you grow your career. I will leave a link in the show notes to give you easy access to join, or you can go on Facebook and type in my group name, Career Advice with Chan with a Plan, and join that way. New year, new job, right? I know many professionals out there are looking to make a move this year, whether it's because they are not currently happy with the company they are at right now and are looking for a change. They didn't receive the raise that they want and they're looking to make more money at another company or they feel that they're stagnant in their growth at their current company. There's nothing wrong with it from a culture and management perspective, but they know that they have to go somewhere else in order to grow their career, become more marketable and make more money. However, for every story out there where a professional was able to move companies to make more money, be surrounded by better people and a better work culture, there's always the other side of things where the move to the new company does not work out. I know professionals personally that have left companies for greener pastures only to either get laid off in a short period of time or realize that they made a mistake. Because professionals tend to gravitate towards the shiny object syndrome meaning that any place is better than where they are right now, which is not always true. If you are able to pick up signs of potential red flags in the interview process of a company, it will save you tons of headaches and frustration. And to help me discuss this topic and provide guidance for my listeners who are looking for a new opportunity in terms of finding out the signs and red flags during the interview process so they don't take an offer that they regret, I have invited Lauren Felter, who is a podcaster, educator, and freelancer. She achieved traditional success at a young age, but continued to battle unhappiness, self-doubt, and insecurity. At 28, she quit her full-time job and sold her house to become an entrepreneur. She's still currently figuring it out, as we all are, but loves helping others know their worth and live authentically. Now let's get into my discussion on red flags you should watch out for in the interviewing and hiring process. Hey, Lauren, welcome to the show. Hey, Max. Thank you so much for having me. We talked offline and you actually go by your last name more than your first. So you go by Felter and your company's Feltered Unfiltered. So why don't you tell us very briefly, like how did you being called last name was the way to go? Yeah. So as I'm probably sure you're aware, there are a lot of Laurens in the world. And I went to a really small high school. It actually started in seventh grade. So it was like, you know, middle school, high school. And there were only 44 girls in my class, three of which were named Lauren. And so it got like really annoying. You know, the teachers, I was Lauren F and there was a Lauren S and then a Lauren W and it just got to be a lot. And so one of um, is actually my history teacher was like, okay, you know what? You're going to go by Felter and you're going to go by this. And it just kind of stuck. I like to think that I'm not your average person. You know, I think I'm unique and fun and it just 
it was something that started then and it just kind of caught on. And honestly, in college, like I would meet people and I would just introduce myself as Felter. And then years later, people would be like, hey, I didn't know that like that was your last name, like that your first name is Lauren or, you know, it's interesting and it's unique. Like I think that I am. And where's the unfilter? Because you have an honest opinion, like you no censor. Is that where the unfilter comes from? Yes. Yeah. So like my entire life, people have told me that I'm very unfiltered. They're like, you know, you, you tell it like it is, you're honest and authenticity is one of my core values. And when I was trying to figure out, you know, the name for my brand, I kept referring to it as like, this is my F you to the world. And, you know, one day I was talking to my friend and we kind of put together like unfiltered, felter, unfiltered, F you, like, oh, that is just so perfect. And so that's what it is. And uh, speaking of F you, uh, <laughs> we're, we're in the middle of the uh, great resignation. Yeah, there's a great segue. So we're in the middle of what we call the great resignation. A lot of people are looking to uh, leave their current jobs due to many factors. They evaluated their, their life and realized that even though this job was enjoyable, it's not really where they want to go in the future or they're just not happy anymore and they want to do something else. Now, the big issue is leaving a bad environment for another bad one. So mm -hmm. I brought you on today to discuss the potential red flags that you should watch out for when it comes to interviewing at companies and even detecting whether it's the right team. Because if you work at a big company, your manager is going to be the main influence of your work environment compared to like a smaller company where it's more top level down. So if the executives have a culture, then it probably reflected towards everybody else. But when it comes to like a bigger company, it's more so like your manager and your more immediate team, more so than the actual bigger company. So with all that being said, why don't we start off with your experience or what you've learned in terms of red flags that someone should avoid when they're going through an interview process with a company? Yeah. So I would love to tell you a little bit about my background and you know how I know these things, and then I'll get into my seven red flags that I've come up with. So the majority of my career, I worked at a university um, in the admissions office overseeing marketing operations and technical systems. And so within that role, hired, unfortunately, fired and, you know, served on many different committees, was promoted, a part of interviews myself on both sides of the table, so to speak. I've worked in corporate consulting, and then I was on the very early end trendsetter of the great resignation. And so I quit my full-time job in January of 2020 to go out on my own and do my own thing. And so that's what I've been doing for about the past two years. So getting into the red flags, I think the biggest one is really anything that alludes to a toxic work culture or like an overworking kind of culture. And so some of the things I've heard before from, you know, in an interview is anything that's along the lines of, hey, we're all about work-life balance, but, and then the end of that sentence is typically, you know, but there's a lot of work that has to get done or, but, you know, the job comes first or, you know, whatever, like the company either is about work-life balance or they're not, it doesn't need a caveat. And if they can't actually give examples of how it's implemented at their company, then, you know, it's nothing more than just lip service. And, you know, kind of along those lines, like if they are looking for the job to be the number one priority in your life, like you're allowed to have higher priorities. But if their expectation is that like, you have to care about this job above all else, or you have to care about the mission above all else, you know, that's 
that's toxic. They're going to ask you to, you know, do things beyond, you know, reasonably what, you know, you can do. And then I actually asked my Instagram followers. So I'm going to insert a few of those in here. And one follower told me that she was asked to participate in a panel interview at eight o'clock on a Saturday, like 8 a.m. on a Saturday. And so she was like, yeah, I should have been able to tell from there that they worked around the clock and that I would have zero work-life balance there. So the next one is, you know, anyone questioning your abilities. So I actually did an interview one time where, and, you know, it was really unfortunate the way it was, but it was basically like me, a female sitting in a room with nothing but males and kind of like one by one, they went through my resume and they were like, okay, so like, I see this on your resume. Who helped you do that? And, you know, this different thing, like it, it was just assumed that like, I couldn't have possibly done these things that I did. And it was incredibly insulting. And like, that was a place where, you know, people weren't valued for their accomplishments. And, you know, I don't think that I really fit in well as a female. Unfortunately, I actually did take that job. And that was a red flag that I should have paid attention to. Anytime that anyone asks anything that is incredibly too personal, like asking, you know, are you married? Do you have kids? Do you plan to have kids soon? Like that is incredibly inappropriate in a job interview. And that is someone who is literally just wanting to know like how this affects their bottom line. Because obviously, you know, like if you're married, then they might also have to pay for your spouse's benefits or your children's benefits, or you might have to, you know, maternity leave, you know, whatever. Another big one, so from an Instagram follower, they said, you know, the interviewer talked about themselves the whole time. And so I think like if they're not actually interested in getting to know you and assessing your fit, like that's a really big red flag because the whole purpose of an interview is seeing, you know, like how do I fit into this organization? How would we work together? And if they're just, you know, kind of going through it as a formality or talking about themselves, then like they have no interest whatsoever in seeing if you're actually a good fit. So then my last three are really more like actions that take place as opposed to questions that get asked. So I teach at a university, I teach visual communication, which is kind of like graphic design light for communication majors. And something that I see a lot that my students tell me about is, you know, they'll be in the interview process for some kind of, you know, little communication intern position or something like that. And they will be asked to put together like, hey, can you design a flyer for us? Or can you put together a social media plan? Or, you know, what would your email strategy be? And a lot of times employers are doing that to be able to exploit students, interns, you know, whoever going through the interview process and use them for unpaid work. And so they, maybe they have no intention of hiring you. Maybe they do. And they're just trying to see the best, but like, just be really wary of being asked to do things in the interview process that seem above and beyond that you might just being, you know, exploited for unpaid work. If you are offered a job and someone does not give you adequate time to make the decision or to transition from your current role, I think that's a huge red flag. That means like, something's just off. Like they're really desperate and they're probably going to expect you to jump in day one and just run everything and that they're not going to give you time to like really onboard and transition. So I would say, you know, that would be a huge red flag at that point. 
And then when it comes to, you know, the money, like if they offer you just a ridiculously low salary, but they promise, hey, you know, like money is really tight right now, but in in six months, we'll be able to double your pay or like just something that's incredibly unrealistic. Like make sure that you're using payscale.com, you're using Glassdoor, like do your research and know your worth. And like sometimes it's okay to accept a salary that might be a little lower than what you would expect or, you know, what you want based on like if the benefits are really good or it's a better work-life balance or, you know, whatever. But like if someone's offering you tens of thousands of dollars less than you should be getting paid because they're promising that it's going to get better, like that's a huge red flag. Going back to the last point about the the salary, right? So this actually pertains to the first point as well in terms of like the work-life balance. Mm-hmm. So I've worked with a client recently and she interview for a startup and it was a couple of those things right like a lot lower salary but they're like oh but we'll give you equity right so there's that promise of like if you take lower salary now we're gonna hit it big and then your equity will be like way more than the salary that you'll get any other company so like they're promising you a lot of that stuff so so what's your thoughts on that you know so i think that really depends i personally know someone who did that and it is going to work out for them and the company is going to go public and you know they're going to do really well I think from the perspective of a startup founder, you know, the reason that they do that a lot of times is so that people are invested and they have the drive and they want to make it work. I mean, just like investing in the stock market or, you know, buying a house, like it's a gamble. It's not a guarantee. So I think just going in with that healthy understanding of like, if you can afford it and this is a gamble that you want to take, then I think that's okay. But if you truly need to make a certain amount of money and you deserve to make a certain amount of money and they're not paying you. And it's like, oh, you know, take the pay cut now. And in three years, you're going to be a millionaire. You know, like that's, I I would say that's something to be a little skeptical of. And startups, they don't have a work-life balance because it's a smaller team. So they rely on you more. So you do have to work extra hours unless there is a startup I don't know about where they do promote more work-life balance. So what's your take on that? I wouldn't generalize and say, you know, none of them value work-life balance. I mean, I think generally at a smaller organization where there are less people and, you know, they're trying to grow, like there's probably going to be more of a culture of, you know, all hands on deck and like, let's hustle and whatever. But yeah, I mean, I think the value can, can vary from organization to organization. And you said before that, you took a job and you saw the signs that it did seem like a <laughs> toxic culture, but you took it anyway. So that's actually one of the questions I want to ask you today, right? Because sometimes they brush it off, say, okay, it can't be that bad. Maybe it's just overthinking. But when should you trust your gut that maybe this isn't actually the right opportunity? So I was in a really bad situation with my current position. It was incredibly toxic. I had an emotionally abusive supervisor. So I was desperate and I needed to leave. Like I saw the red flags in the new position and I overlooked them because they gave me a nice salary and I just, I needed something else. I ended up only staying at that position, the new one for five months, because obviously it wasn't a fit for me. You know, it it, it just wasn't a good situation. I mean, you know, any new situation is a gamble. And I think that that sometimes, you know, when people leave a job and they go to a new one, like they have blinders on 
not blinders, but it's, you know, like the grass is always greener. Like it's like, oh, you know, my boss is terrible. Now I'm going to have a good boss. Like every new situation that you enter, there are going to be things about it that you didn't realize or you didn't know. And so, you know, I think it's just about collectively understanding like day in and day out. Am I happy here? Am I growing? Are my needs being met? Do the values align? You know, like are the majority of the boxes checked, so to speak? Got it. Because there's no perfect job, right? You have to take the pros and the cons. It's more about evaluating the pros and cons heavily and seeing that, okay, there is more good than the bad. So this is the right opportunity, right? Oh, 100%. And, you know, even like people say, oh, you know, it, you know, working sucks. So that's where I'm going to work for myself. And that's what I thought. I was like, I'm going to be my own boss and I can like take off whenever I want. I can do whatever I want. I don't have to answer to anybody. And like something that, I didn't realize about entrepreneurship is it's incredibly lonely. And there are days that I'm literally just sitting here in my office and talking to myself. And I'm like, I have no one to, you know, bounce ideas off of, get feedback from. Like, I don't know if I'm doing a good job because I don't have anyone to tell me that I'm doing a good job. And, you know, like every situation has its challenges, has things that you're not going to like about it. You have your own podcast, right? Yes. Yeah. So is that one of the ways to like beat the loneliness by like getting guests to come on and having a conversation? Does that help you with the loneliness aspect of it? Yeah. And I feel like it's more just kind of like loneliness of interaction, like talking about the actual business. So yeah, I mean, that is always my favorite thing is like if I'm having a bad day or I'm annoyed and I have a podcast interview set up, Whenever that interview is over, I just feel like so fulfilled and refreshed and it is truly something that I enjoy so much. Yeah. And going back to what you said before, how you lasted in that role for five months, did you quit or did you part ways? No, I quit. And actually, you know, it's funny because I left the first job because I had a horrible boss and then I went to this new job where it just wasn't a fit, but I had a great boss. And so he like was really, really helpful through that transition and you know, he was like, look, like, I would love to keep you, but you need to do what's best for you. And, you know, like, I support you and I'm not gonna, you know, make you leave any sooner than you need to leave. And like, he was really, really great with that transition. So it was like ironic that I was leaving a job with a better boss, but it just, you know, it wasn't a fit for me. Can you elaborate more on that? Because usually people leave bosses, not companies. But from what you just told me, you left the company, not the boss. So so how can you have a good manager, but then the environment's toxic? It wasn't a toxic environment. It was really boring. <laughs> like the what I was doing was boring. The office culture was boring. Like the people were kind of boring. Like I just, I had come from a job where like the work was incredibly exciting and what I got to do was exciting just with a bad boss. And then I went to a situation with like very unexciting work and a good boss. Got it. Like I get what you're saying. Even if you have a good relationship with your boss, if the work's not fulfilling, you're not going to want to come to work, right? Yeah, for sure. Oh, and I did not want to go to work. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point too. The Sunday scaries is the term, right? Yes. Or like the Monday morning scaries, the going back to work after lunch scaries, like all of it. So you quit your job in five months. So this leads me to a follow-up question for you. So let's say you leave your current job for another one and you're not happy there. You've tried it for a few months and you realize it's not for you. But then it goes back to the issue of like, 
should you stay and apply or should you just quit and apply? But there's the stigma of resume gaps, right? And then also there might be a red flag that, okay, why are you leaving so soon, right? So what's your thoughts on that? Because they think that they have to stay at a job for a certain amount of time before, so it doesn't become a concern of their tenure. So I'm going to be really honest. I do a lot of hiring. I'm actually hiring an intern right now. I've never looked at a resume and like counted on my fingers, like the months between like one position and another. I mean, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm sure that that does happen and maybe like it, it might be a question in an interview, but I think that people stress about some of these things so much more than like they're, they're actually important. And I also believe that everything is about how you frame it. So like, let's say that you do have an interview and someone asks you, you know, about a, a six month gap on your resume. Like, don't say I quit because I didn't like it. Say I made the decision to leave because it wasn't a fit. And I wanted the opportunity to work somewhere that better aligned with my career goals. Like, if the the organization that you're interviewing with cares about employee well-being, they would understand that you left a toxic work culture and that was the best thing for you. Like that's a no-brainer. Absolutely. And let's say that the interview went well and they're good at putting a political face. So what type of questions without being too aggressive can you ask the hiring manager or hiring team to potentially spot hidden red flags based off their answer? For sure. So I think it's really important, and this is something that like a lot of young professionals don't realize that they need to be asking is who is your supervisor going to be? And, you know, it's important to know, like, are they the person that you're interviewing with? Do you even get the opportunity to meet them during the hiring process? Do they know that you're being hired? Because I think that it's a major red flag if you get hired and your supervisor has never met you before. And I've been on both ends of that. Like I've been hired before and met my supervisor on the first day. And I have had other people be hired who then reported to me, you know, once they started. And like, I think it's just, it's a disservice all around to not be able to like get to know each other during the interview process. And I think it says a lot about the organization and like how much they care about interpersonal cohesion. I also think it's really important to ask like what the day to day is like, or, you know, what you can expect in your first 30, 60, 90 days. Because if you do get a good concrete answer, that means that either someone has done this job before, or they've thought about it. And like, they have their shit together. <laughs> but if you get a bad answer or something that's just really, oh, you know, well, it, it depends. Like once you get in the role, we'll figure it out. Like that means that they have no firm plan and they're literally expecting you to come in and just do everything. And so that's a huge red flag. And then the last one is just like, if you do have the opportunity to meet with a peer, so, you know, someone that would be on your same level or maybe same age, like similar amount of experience, ask them, how would they describe their culture? Because I have been asked that in an interview as, you know, someone on the, on the panel of interviewers and it was in a place with bad culture and, you know, you kind of, uh, like you're nervous about answering it the right way. And, you know, then like if, 
if someone is giving you like a genuine answer, like you can read that. And if they're being hesitant, you can read that. And so I think that's like a really, really big indicator of what is it actually like there. To go by what you said before about like, oh, uh, we'll figure it out. Uh, one of the questions that you should ask is like, is this a new role or is this a role that you're just replacing someone that left? Because if it's a new role, they may not have process in place. So it's good to ask if it is a new role and then they can tell you if there is something that's uh, being structured, right? Yeah. And I also like, it's perfectly okay to be hired for a new role. Like I've, you know, been hired for positions that have been created before, but like, it's important that it's not just, Hey, like that they've thought about it beyond a title, you know, like, Oh, we're going to hire like a marketing coordinator versus like, we're going to hire a marketing coordinator. They're going to report to this person. This is what they're going to be responsible for. This is what we want them to do. You know, like there's more than just like having a title and advertising for a position. Exactly. And in terms of not being their supervisor or meeting other peers, do you think it's a red flag if the interview process is long? Because uh, there's always a lot of complaints of how the interview process is a lot longer now than it was before. So you're meeting all these different people. So is it a red flag if the interview rounds or let's say it goes to five to six compared to like the normal two to three? Not necessarily because, you know, it can be long for a number of reasons. Like it can be long because they're, they have no idea what they're doing. Or it can be long because like, let's say that you have a very cross-functional role where you will be working with a lot of different constituencies or, you know, groups of people, like maybe they just want the opportunity for you to meet those different groups of people. Or it can be long, you know, I had a friend who was interviewing for a position that she was going to be a supervisor and she didn't have like as much supervisory experience as they would have considered. So like as a formality as like, and this was a really large organization. So they had very structured, you know, HR and processes and things like that. So like part of it was that she had to interview with three other people in the organization who had the position that she was interviewing for so that they could assess whether or not they felt that she had supervisory capabilities. And she's now been with this organization for seven or eight years and is a really good fit. But like, it was just kind of an HR thing that that they added this additional layer. So I do not necessarily think that just because the interview process is long means that that is a red flag. Thanks for clarifying that. And what research should you do prior to interviewing for a company? Or if you're comparing a couple job offers, which would be great. Everybody likes multiple job offers. Like, How would you evaluate and research the company to make sure it's right for you? Beyond what we just discussed about like asking the right questions to the hiring team and really evaluating them during the interview process. Yeah, for sure. So four different things that I would suggest looking at. The first one is LinkedIn. So like find the company on LinkedIn and then go to the people tab and actually look at, you know, the different people who work there and see like, how long do they work there? Like, has everyone been there for, you know, only a couple months or only a couple years? Like, is there anyone that's been there for five years or longer? You know, just kind of like sniff it out that way and, and, and see like if they have high turnover for sure go to Glassdoor because you can read reviews there and you can look at salaries and, you know, obviously you can gain a lot of insight there. I would also say go to their Facebook page because I think, you know, like companies that have really good culture, like they'll post on their Facebook page like, oh, like we did a volunteering event today or, you know, we had a baby shower for so-and-so. Like 
stuff like that will come through. And then the last one is just, you know, go to like their about page on their website and look at their values and see if those values actually come through. Like it's 2021. I would assume that every organization has, you know, like diversity and inclusion as a value, but do they actually have people of color in their, in their executive leadership? I worked for a place that I did not know this until I started, but like every single administrative position was a female and the majority of them were female of color. And there were very, very, very few employees of color in the rest of the organization. And like that just didn't sit well with me. Like that's just like, that is not representation. And I remember bringing up to my boss one time, like I was like, there are no females of color in a leadership position. And he like sat there and of, you know, 50 people, he's like, oh, 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 what about so-and-so? And it was like one person. And so I think just really, you know, looking at like, what are their values say? And like, can you actually gauge that from, you know, the content that they're putting out? As the saying goes, watch what they do, not what they say, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because I, I know DEI is a big initiative right now. So that's, I think, diversity, equity, inclusion. So like you could have like the DEI in lower ranks, but if the higher ranks are still very, I would say monotone, then it's not really practicing what they preach, right? For sure. Yeah. So one of the um, things that a lot of new grads make the mistake of is being mesmerized by a big brand. So they will brush off the red flags because it's this big brand that they've always wanted to work for. But I've heard stories where some of these cultures are a bit toxic. What's your advice when it comes to like, oh, this has been my dream company, but they do see some flags in the hiring process or they they do see some bad reviews. So what's your take on that? I, I know like there's no perfect job. But do you think that they should take the risk of like just, just working there for a couple of years to build up their resume with that big brand? Or you think they should find something that really suits what they want to do and who they are? So I'm a big believer in everything in life as a learning experience. So, you know, I think if it is your dream company and you get that opportunity, like, okay, cool. You know, everybody wants to be able to say that they work for Nike or Apple or Facebook or, you know, whatever. But when I am hiring someone... I want to know so much more about what was the work that you actually did, not where you worked. Because a lot of times you're going to get much more hands-on experience at a smaller organization or, you know, a less established organization. But I will say at bigger, more established organizations, you are going to see a much better onboarding process you know, it's just, it's going to be a, like a lot more formalized and they will likely do a very good job with that. Yeah. So the discussion here overall was about like hiring, right? So what is your hiring process and how is it different than the standard hiring process that job seekers go through today? So one of the big things that I do, I typically advertise on LinkedIn and I put in the job description that like at the very end, I say, please email work samples and why you're interested to, you know, my email address. So I know that you read this entire position. And typically those are the only people that I will interview because one of the really big things that I look for is like detail orientation and being legitimately interested in 
my brand and, and caring about what I do. So like, if you just see the title and you apply and you don't actually read the position and I want to be clear, like the job description itself is not very long, you know, like if you actually go through those steps and and you email and you say why you're interested, like I know that you're legitimately interested and you're a detail oriented person. So that's something on the front end. And then, you know, typically like I have a standard set of questions. Like I feel like it's very easy to gauge someone through, you know, a 30 minute Zoom interview. Like I'm not looking for you to be perfect. I'm not looking for you to be the best person ever at what you do. I'm looking for you to care, to have strong work ethic, and to want this position. I've interviewed a lot of people who just want a position, and that shows because, you know, I'll say, like, why are you the best one for this job? And it's all about, like, me, 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 and not about, like, why I work well with you sort of thing. So I think that's really important. But, like, when you're going through the interview process, like, just – don't be afraid to to brag on yourself. Like I think that's one of the biggest things is, you know, people are like shy or timid and like if you're good at something like say that you're good at it, you know? Like talk yourself up. Do what you need to do. So, you've interviewed a lot of people I'm assuming, right? So, what are some red flags for you when you interview candidates where they get disqualified immediately? One thing that a lot of people do is they tell me what they think I want to hear instead of being honest. So like I'll ask a question about, you know, how long have you worked with a certain app or, you know, whatever. And like they're anticipating that I want them to say like a certain thing. And so instead of just being honest, they're like trying to talk around it in a way that they think I want to hear. Where like if they would just say, hey, like I'm not really good with Illustrator, but I am so good with InDesign. I could come back and be like, you're a great candidate. I'm going to teach you Illustrator, you know? Like I, if you're honest with me, like I can work with you if you're a good fit for the position. But if you're just telling me what you think, like I want to hear, we're not going to be able to work together. I also think that a lot of times candidates do a really bad job of giving examples. Like, okay, so you say you're detail oriented, like don't just tell me, tell me a story, like give me an example. Tell me how did you develop that skill? Like when is the time that you really use that skill? Like that's going to hammer it in. Like anyone can say they're detail oriented, but like, tell me, you know, oh, when I'm checking a list, I pull it up on my screen and then I have another tab open and I put them next to each other, you know, like really illustrate it. And then I think just like not being inquisitive enough. Like when I say, do you have any questions? Like, you know, ask like, how long have I been in business? Am I hiring other interns? Have I had an intern before? Like, Show me that you did your research about me and, you know, that you're legitimately interested and you want to know more. So the common theme I'm getting is being authentic and showing that you actually want this job, not a job. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's okay to be hiring for or, you know, be interviewing for multiple positions and you can be interested in multiple positions. But like when you're interviewing with someone, help them understand why it is that you want that position specifically. Of course. And in terms of hiring, right? What's your thought process in terms of how fast should like someone make a decision? Because I, I know people like they get all antsy, like they had the final round interview, it's been like two weeks and they still haven't heard anything. In your opinion, when should you be respectful and like just let them know that they didn't get the job in terms of the ghosting, right? Because a lot of 
job seekers out there, they don't like ghosting. They rather hear no than like hear nothing, right? So, okay. I will say from the perspective of like someone who is hiring, a lot of times and, you know, the more established the organization, like the more formal this process, but like sometimes they have a policy where, you know, let's say they have like the top three candidates for the position they might have offered it to the top candidate and be going back and forth and negotiating salary and whatever. And like, they may not let candidates number two and three know that they didn't get it until candidate number one, like has a locked in offer. And, you know, and like that can take a while, maybe like a week and a half and you interviewed a week before them or, you know, whatever. So from the perspective of a hiring manager of like, there are some reasons that you might not be knowing right away. I think it never hurts to follow up and, you know, follow up like with actually, you know, like questions of substance, like not just like, hey, did I get the job? But like, have you made any progress on hiring? Like when do you anticipate to make an offer? When would you like someone to start in this position. And, you know, like you can kind of gauge from there if they know, hey, they're going to hire you, but like they're waiting on some other things to come through, then they might, you know, say, we hope to make an offer in the next couple of days. Like that might mean that that you're a top contender for it. But if they say, oh, we're still going through the interviewing process, that probably means that you didn't get it, you know? And and so, and they can't be super explicit sometimes because they have to wait for other things to fall into place. Got it. So what's some advice for someone that's currently in the job search process and they're not happy with where they are, but they're not getting a lot of traction or they're getting these offers, but they're not really happy with it. Do you think that they should take it as like a bridge job or do you think that they should decline to really pursue what they're going after? So it all depends on if you need the money or not, because at the end of the day, jobs are about money and feeding ourselves and, you know, paying our rent and all that good stuff. So if you need the money, take the job and keep looking like you owe them nothing like, you know, yeah, it might suck, but, you know, like you owe it to yourself to figure out what you need to do and to pay your bills at the same time. If you don't need the money and you're not crazy about the job offer, don't take it. Keep looking. I mean, it is a job seekers market right now. So it is the perfect time to be choosy. Yeah. A lot of companies right now are hungry for talent because of the great resignation, right? Mm-hmm. So again, I really appreciate your time, Felter, for coming on. I want to end this podcast episode with one last question for you. So my podcast is about helping professionals overcome common career challenges, uh, and providing them with strategies to help them overcome these challenges. So for you, what was one big career challenge that you've faced uh, in your career so far? Uh, and what did you do to overcome it to get to where you are today? One of the biggest things that I've dealt with and it has honestly just been a mindset shift is I'm allowed to change my mind. I'm allowed to start over. I'm allowed to pick something else. I'm allowed to quit. Like, I think, you know, our generation, we only knew what we saw before us. And that was our parents' generation that, you know, I don't know about you, but my dad had the same job for 30 years. And then at 55, he started a new career and he's been doing that for, you know, 15 years. Like it just, we saw this incredible loyalty and they never really talked about dissatisfaction or 
you know, oh, I don't feel that this is purposeful. I don't feel fulfilled, et cetera. We just saw, hey, they were in the same job for this amount of time. And so that's what I need to do. And so I think just like giving yourself permission that if you are not happy, it is okay to find something else that will make you happy. And my mantra currently is I'm a work in progress. So like, I don't think that I will ever be in a job where I'm like, okay, this is it and I'm done and I'm perfect and I've figured it out. Like, I'm always going to be figuring it out. I'm always going to be constantly, you know, finding something that I like, finding something that I don't like and pivoting and changing and tailoring my life to whatever meets my needs and my values at that time. Yeah, absolutely. Like, things are a lot different than back in your like father's day right so it's about <laughs> adapting to the new rules not trying to stick with something that may have worked like many years ago right 100 percent, yeah so again i really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me today about the red flags of that you should watch out for when it comes to the hiring process at companies as well as hiring managers so how can people connect with you online to learn more about what you do and how you could help them yeah so my instagram handle is felter.unfiltered and I share, you know, life, love, and career tips. I also sell apparel that's, you know, really fun. Like I have a new t-shirt that says more than my job because your job doesn't have to be your identity. And then I also have a podcast called Overcoming Should. And it's a place where we say F you to the shoulds of life and grow at our own pace. So every episode we talk about a different should, like you should stick it out or you should know what you want to do. And we kind of turn it on its head and I interview someone. And then I have a therapist on every episode to kind of give a broader perspective on, you know, why do we feel pressure to do these things and how can we overcome them? And we have some really great conversations. Fantastic. I, I hope my listeners uh, check out your show. Is, is it weekly? Yes, every week. Uh, did you just start or has it been going on for a while? Yeah, so I actually started in the fall. So I'm in the teens of my episode numbers. And how's the reception for it right now? It's great. I'm like, one of my biggest struggles is trying to figure out, you know, who my average listener is. And and I don't know who they are. Like, every time I talk to different people, I'm like, oh, you don't fit the demographic that I thought my listener would be. The great thing about like uh, listener stats, right? You, you don't know who's actually listening until you look at it. It's like, oh, I, I, I wasn't expecting this demographic to listen to it, right? Right. Or like I'll catch up with someone that I haven't talked to in a while and they'll be like, I love your podcast. I'm like, really? <laughs> Great. Again, I appreciate your time and hope you get massive growth for your podcast for now and uh, the future years. Thank you. You too. Thank you again to Felter for coming on my podcast to discuss and provide advice on red flags to watch out for in the interviewing and hiring process of a company so you don't accept a bad job offer. If you want to hear my personal insights on this topic, make sure to check out ChanCap this coming Friday on all popular podcast platforms. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. Again, if you are a professional seeking out a new job opportunity or looking for career advice to get your career to the next level, then come join my private Facebook group, Career Advice with Chan with a Plan, where I post daily content on job search tips and career advice. I will leave a link in the show notes so you can join from there. Again, this is Chan with The Plan of the Podcast. I'm your host, Max Chan, and I thank you for listening. Bye.